In November 2014, an unsigned anonymous letter was sent to the Birmingham City Council alleging that hardline Muslims were trying to infiltrate inner city schools to implement an Islamist agenda. This was later referred to as Operation Trojan Horse. Although most people consider the letter as a hoax, nonetheless it precipitated snap offstead inspections of 20 inner city schools, including the alleged mastermind of this Islamic takeover, Parkview Educational Trust, now known as Rockwood Academy. Previously rated in 2012 as outstanding, suddenly Ofsted rated Parkview, along with other schools, as inadequate, placing them in special measures. The school governors at the time called it a witch hunt. Almost four years on, I want to know what were the facts and what were fiction from the horse's mouth himself. Welcome to the show, Tahir Alam. Nice to be on. Pleasure having you. So, is there such a thing as a Sharia-compliant state school? Within the English education system, you've got one-third of schools are faith schools, um, and there's no category called secular schools, because even the, your maintained schools, what normally may be referred to as kind of secular schools, if you like, you know, they have aspects of religion in them, for example, uh, the teaching of Ari and also mm -hmm. the act of collective worship, daily act of collective worship is statutory. Mm -hmm. I mean, the suggestion here, Adil, uh, is that perhaps we were kind of imposing certain things on children, is the accusation. It's not mm -hmm. the fact that we were accommodating. Was there any imposition? Well, from 600 children, only about 50 normally on a regular basis, you know, came. It varied really from 30 to 50 to 60, 70, you know, it mm -hmm. varied throughout the year. Uh, came to for the Friday prayers and came to, to do the Lord prayers as well. What that tells us is that it was purely optional. There wasn't a single accommodation, if you like, uh, that was requested by parents or by pupils that was compulsory, not one, hmm. nor was fasting. Aren't you kind of opening the floodgates, if you like, for there to be kind of a, a chaotic situation where many of the state schools would then have to accommodate for so many minority needs, just for example, holidays? Well, they are trying to do that already. That's well, for, not a, for holidays, for That's example. not a new situation. That's for for new, example, they holidays do that already. When there is, for example, Diwali and so on, mm -hmm. uh, you know, teachers who are of that background, for example, and those events are celebrated. What kind of society are we trying to create? Uh, are we trying to create Stalin's Russia? Are we, we got one formula no, being no, peddled through in one type of school? We live in a diverse society and our education system needs to be reflective of and responsive to the diversity that is real on the ground. But you know, the vision that you're kind of uh, peddling, if you like, it seems articulating. Very, or articulating, it seems very uh, utopic, you know, it's like this very ideal vision of all these different minorities. Well, let's create a discriminatory can, society can, then, can, no, where, no, where, I'm where I'm minorities would be oppressed and where we no, have no, one formula and one type a, of school. We, don't, don't you think it's important to acknowledge yeah. there is a dominant culture? The dominant culture, meaning if you want a lot of the faith um, or, or particulars of faith to be accommodated for, then why not just open or be in a faith school? Well, people are opening faith schools. But I, with, as far as you know, my view is concerned, Muslim children, 95% of them happen to go to state schools. That's just a reality. 
Yes. To say that, oh, they should open a faith school is just a cop-out. Now, we have uh, this book here, which you co-authored back in 2007, Meeting the Needs of Muslim Pupils and States. That's right, yeah. So, Tahir, why did you write this book? Yeah, I wrote this uh, book um, in response to a variety of queries that I was receiving when I was a, a chair at the Muslim Council of Britain. So, we always received inquiries from local authorities, from parents, and from teachers as well. Uh, you know, who wanted to know, you know, what was Islamic, if you like, and what they should, how should they meet the needs of their Muslim pupils. So could it be argued that accommodating for minority needs like Tahir attempted to do does in fact promote British values rather than undermine them? Okay, so the allegations have been dropped against the teachers, the five teachers. All the teachers, yeah. All the teachers. However, your particular case is still ongoing. Yeah. Um, I mean, with respect to the teachers, um, the accusations that were made against the leadership team, if you like, and myself are the same. Yeah. I was supposed to be kind of accommodating, I'm accused of being accommodating certain things, and they were supposed to be doing those things, if you like. Now, those cases collapsed because the Department of Education and the, the, and the NCTL lawyers, really, they failed to disclose critical bits of information. They're only releasing what is fav favorable to them. Mm. And in the tribunal case, of course, what they found was that the, the panel had been deliberately misled. And it is for this reason that the, all the cases actually collapsed against the teachers. So I am now the sole conspirator. So I've been conspiring with myself. It's an oxymoron now. I've been conspiring with myself now to take over these schools and to Islamize them and do all the things that we, uh, I, mean, you know, I was accused of. Uh, you know, the reality to that is, 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 is far from it, to be honest. They, they don't want to release the, the entire transcripts of it. Okay, you know it was a pu public hearing. It was a public hearing, but they don't want to release the transcripts of it, is what they are saying. Mm -hmm. From my point of view, I have no problem with the transcript being released, and <laughs> they can release them. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, because I think that the reason why they are doing this, I, mean, I say it quite frankly, yes. and uh, unapologetically, the reason why they're doing that is because they want to maintain the facade that there was some something dark happened here, that something sinister happened here, and we need to protect the identity of people because they might be a risk to them, and they want to maintain this falsehood that there is there was that kind of atmosphere, you know, created and so well, on. So, uh, so we know this now. The pretext of um, uh, protecting uh, identities, identities, and so on. Yeah. The turn of events were quite dramatic. I mean, they, the, the DfE, uh, the Department for Education, actually appointed the ex-head uh, of counter-terrorism, Peter Clark, to investigate about uh, the Trojan Horse affair. Um, and even the Westminster Police at the time, in fact, criticised that appointment. What kind of impact do you think that had on the, on, on, on the children at the school and the parents? I mean, there are a number of investigations, I think, from the point uh, the entire offensive was planned at least sort of three, four weeks before, but Clark's report was one of them, the officer inspections were another one, the education funding agency investigations were another one, PwC investigation was another one, so we are the most investigated school in the history of this country. Uh, no, uh, you know, uh, no, end no end of investigations really, but uh, obviously the impact, you know, was that this, these schools have now been failed, and I think that's the important thing. This particular inter intervention destroyed those opportunities. It actually traumatized the children and um, labeled them as, you know, potential extremists, if you like. Mm. The lasting legacy 
of this intervention has been the, uh, the, the, you know, the destruction of these children, the opportunities these children would have had, they've been destroyed. So for example, uh, our schools was consistently achieving you know, 70 plus results in A stars to C, including English and Maths, which is the main benchmark. Um, now the results are in the 40s, so 2016 result, for example, was 41%. I mean, the accusations against the teachers were uh, of a similar nature to myself. The accusations, in fact, are pretty identical. Okay. Uh, that, oh, you were promoting too much religion in school and those okay. kind of things. And we were inspected, you know, long before yes. this, of course. Nobody raised any objections to any of the practices that we were doing, mm. whether it was the azan, whether it was the, I don't know, Islamic collective worship or prayer accommodation. These things in all the previous reports yes. to the uh, following the Trojan horse interventions, mm -hmm. all the previous reports praise this practice as being exemplary in reflecting the aspirations of the children and of the parents that the school actually serves. Multicultural Britain. Multicultural Britain is a reality, and those things, those who are driving for monoculturalism, are living in cloud cuckoo land, mm -hmm. and they are promoting division and hatred. When Michael Wilshaw came to visit the school in 2012, he said that all schools need to be like this. Yes, he regarded it to be a, an exemplary school, you know, from being an outstanding school with 13 exemplaries in the report. Mm -hmm. uh, we were suddenly, all of a sudden, uh, we were in special measures and we were completely failing school. We didn't change anything in the school, but the judgment changed somehow. These inspections, uh, you know, I've always argued from the outset, you know, were part, not in inspections actually, they were inquisitions and they were part of a witch hunt. And of course now the school is inadequate. Now does that make sense to anyone? Where, where, where are the schools now? Yes, Compared indeed. to where they were before. So we are now, you know, good three, four years down the line if you like. Okay. Academic results we've just mentioned anyway. They're, they're worse. They, they are a lot worse, yeah. Uh, so they are now failing schools effectively from, from that point of view. What about Ofsted inspections then? So when our schools went, were inspected in 2014, they were put into special measures by Ofsted. So it's very interesting to compare uh, the trajectory of the Ofsted outcome, Ofsted inspection grading, as the schools have gone from 75% to 41%, the grades, gradings by Ofsted have gone in the opposite direction. Okay. So, so the gradings were, so when the results were 75%, the school was inadequate and now that the school results are 41% in 2016, Ofsted came in 20, uh, 2016 and they graded the school as being uh, as being good overall. A good school. It's now a good school. I don't know what they're doing to measure the... Because Adam's not there. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So if the objective <laughs> was... Maybe, you're not there, it's yeah. going to be a good school now, right? That's right, Everyone's yeah. safe. It seems to be that's the criteria for Ofsted. I mean, it really is, I mean, we are laughing really, but it's not funny for our children because mm -hmm. they're going to fail for decades to come. The stage is now, the legacy of Trojan Horse is that our children will continue to fail in these schools for decades to come. And the climate that has been created means that the parents will not be able to challenge. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they'll be accused of being, uh, you know, a radical or an extremist or being aggressive and so on. But what's more disturbing than all of this is that the Department for Education and Ofsted, they want to project this image that they have, their interventions yes. have improved the schools. Improved the I school. mean, they are now in the business of, what they are in the business of really is promoting the falsehood that they have improved the schools. Yes. They want to maintain the lie, if you like. The fact of the matter is completely opposite. The parents know that. 
but the image is kept. There are three who are, three people who are trustees of Parkview Education. Well, Parkview Education Trust was the old name, now called Co-Education Trust. And one would think that in a school which is 95% Muslim children, one would think that you'd have at least maybe one, if not two people, from those communities reflecting the democratic spirit, that there should be some involvement. Mm -hmm. Well, not one person is from the community that the school serves. Right. That says something very important about the intervention into our schools and what motivated it. What motivated it, to be quite frank with you, you know, was a fusion really of of racism and Islamophobia is yes. what actually launched these investigations into our schools and the, and the subsequent you know witch hunt. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you. Do you believe, in a nutshell, all of this was due to the the institutional racism uh, that has been sanctioned uh, by many would argue Michael Gove himself? So, do you think he's responsible for a lot of what's happened? Um, you know, his Islamophobic views are very clear. And I think that the Trojan horse letter landing on his desk, what was an anonymous letter, uh, undated, unsigned, unsubstantiated, he took it to heart, if you like, mm. and instigated uh, you know, a raft of activity as a minister and abused his power in targeting uh, you know, our schools and seeking the removal of you know, people like myself and other people who were involved within those schools as well. And that was orchestrated right planned right from the outset although though none of that has been disclosed in any of the legal cases and the department of education refuses to do so could you argue that maybe the whole episode of this trojan horse affair in itself was quite ironically a reverse trojan horse oh it certainly was um if there was a trojan horse and the trojan horse was uh, project was being triggered from by the department of education if, from anywhere really because the disclosures are very very important so this is a conspiracy well whether it's a conspiracy or not but i think people exploited an opportunity that was provided i wouldn't say it's a conspiracy in a mm. government level or anything but i think an opportunity was taken advantage of well the government was by involved. people's the government yeah, was they were, involved they were but i think I, I, you were spearheaded by the government the, yes the but majority of the inquiries yeah i think people took advantage of things is the way i would put it mm -hmm rather than a conspiracy, if you like, right across the board. I think an opportunity arose and people got together. And the outcome was already decided, you know, from their point of view. So it's got nothing to do with fair inspections or anything. Now, we know this now because uh, of, the, of the article that was published a few months ago, which I didn't know before, that Sir Michael Wilshaw, who was the Ofsted uh, chief at the time, who was spearheading all of this, he was going around with the, with the security guards to protect him because he felt that you know he was physically in danger from the people who were running these schools now how can any inspection be fair when the chief of Ofsted actually has got security people around him to protect him uh, you know from supposedly people who are involved in the Trojan horse plot I mean this kind of paranoia is just quite quite frankly it's just incredible it's absolutely laughable that this man was going around with security guards to, because he felt there was a threat to his physical well-being or, or his life. And at the same time, Ofsted are claiming, you know, in my legal case, that, you know, that there was no political interference in the arrangements, there was no political pressure, but their own chief is going around with security guards at the height of the Trojan horse. 
what message has this whole saga sent out to the Muslim community, do you think, in Birmingham? It is not just in Birmingham, but it's across the country, really, isn't it? Um, and it has sent um, a message which really, if you're a Muslim, you need to be very careful because you've been stigmatized. If Muslim parents want to become governors, they are double-checked as to how religious they are. And Muslim teachers are also in a similar kind of situation. Um, and Muslim children, for example, we know under the PREVENT program in particular, that you know they are being they are under surveillance they're under monitoring would you say that prevent the prevent strategy was in fact saved and uh, given the resurgence that resurgence that it needed by this whole trojan horse uh, affair i think it certainly was used uh, by the government to to statutorize uh, prevent don't forget before trojan horse uh, Prevent was not statutory, it was voluntary. Since Trojan Horse, we have it's been made statutory. We've had university lecturers complaining as well, talking That's about right. how you know they literally want us to spy on Muslim students, right. right? Across the board and it's uh, And the teachers are required to do exactly the same. And if they don't, if they fail to do so, they could be disciplined and could even be sacked, you see, potentially. The teacher pupil relationship is one of trust. You know, it's very important for the pupil to be able yes. to say what they want to say yes. because openness in education is very important and prevent culture of surveillance of spying of threats of intimidation actually of referrals parents yes. have been threatened with referrals uh, and, and so on that kind of culture does not uh, you know create an open society so would you say the Muslims now are guilty until proven innocent well, there is an yeah. I think there's a is strong an element of that. There is strong element of that. Yeah. And we had a very interesting case in London as well, uh, which is that you know a teacher asked. Uh, this was covered in the press as well. A teacher asked the pupils about you know some events and things. And there was an event, terrorist event in London, and all the children were predominantly Muslim in the, in the class. Not one of them mentioned that particular event. So she asked some of the children afterwards. She said, "Well, you know that was the main event. How come nobody talked about it?" Then some of the children disclosed that, you know, their parents told them not to speak about religion in school in case somebody picks up a thread. Uh, Tahir Alam, in retrospect now, three years or so after the whole uh, Trojan horse affair, what would you have done differently? As far as the uh, accommodating the needs of Muslim children is concerned uh, and the other allegations are concerned, I would have done, not done anything differently as far as the school policies are concerned. Yeah, I would have done absolutely nothing different. In fact, I'm very proud of what we've achieved for our children. Uh, from a political point of view, where the, as far as the interventions are concerned, I mean, in any school there's room for improvement. Don't forget, I'm not, I'm not talking about improvement here. In any school there's room for improvement. In fact, the fact that you think there is a room for improvement is part of excellence. So Tahir, how has this whole uh, affair and fiasco affected your personal life? I mean, it's affected myself and it's affected all of the teachers who worked in the school as well and were associated with the school. Um, I think reputations have been damaged um, and a caricatural image has been, you know, projected, if you like, in the public domain, uh, you know, which is completely false um, and doesn't reflect the reality for myself or even other people in that sense. But the impact of it has been that since the, uh, me leaving the school, um, I was subsequently um, given a prohibition order preventing me from 
working in schools, from running schools, leading schools, and even being a, being a governor in a school, or even volunteering in a school. Obviously, as an education professional, you know, going back to, for experience of 20 years of uh, cross-educational experience, that means that, uh, you know, I can no longer do what I really love and what I loved. You know, after speaking to Tahir, I sense a strong feeling of injustice that he's had to endure. I mean, here's a person who's had his 20 plus year career put to an end. He's not allowed to step foot in a school or a classroom or have anything to do with school leadership. Now, after the other heads and teachers have had their cases dropped and been vindicated, he still seems to be in the middle of it all. I want to speak to former Lib Dem MP John Hemming, who recently criticised the tribunal's decision not to share details of Tahir's hearing as concerning. In a recent article I read regarding the tribunal's decision not to publish details of the hearing regarding Tahir Alam and the so-called Trojan Horse Affair, you mentioned how can, a, uh, how can judges oversee a public hearing but not make their ruling public? Yeah, I, I think the, the point about the judicial process is that judges obviously should not be controlled by politicians, that's the idea of the separation mm -hmm. of the estates of the constitution. So the judges go off and do their thing. But a very important part of the judicial process is public accountability. And the judges, people making decisions, who are given the job to make decisions about things, are, are required to tell people why the decision is that they've taken. So what, what is the basis of the decision? We understand, for example, that in 2012, Parkview Educational Trust was given an outstanding yeah. uh, inspection from Ofsted. Yeah. And then after this whole well, fiasco they happened, the rules, it changed. They? Yes. they changed the rules to fail. Inadequate. I have never really been a great fan of the way in which Ofsted monitors children's services more generally. It's not just schools, but also wider children's services. I've not been a great fan of it. <laughs> I don't think the methodology is that good. And in a situation like this where they suddenly say, part of the way through, we're going to change all the rules and we'll do it a completely different way. I don't think that's good. And then when you have this sort of trying to be secretive about it all as well, mm. that's not good. Because at the end of the day, as I said, come back to accountability. Ofsted are a public body. They operate sort of in the judicial estate of the constitution. And you need to see what's actually going on. I had a big battle with Ofsted over a period of about two or three years, trying to find out about how many children had died mm. uh, in the country from uh, su suspected child abuse and neglect, and they didn't want to tell me. Right. And that's a very important issue, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were very, very resistant, and I used parliamentary proceedings in the end to drag it out of them. But, I mean, we speak about the examples of extremism and murder yeah. and a very monolithic way of living. Yeah. But in reality, there was no extremism that was actually found because we know of the almost 15 or so teachers and the five heads last year were, yeah. well, if you like, well, the cases not, were dropped. Yeah, no, the, po the point about it, it wasn't about that sort of... The, the, the extremism that happened on the streets of the small heath was an elderly gentleman being murdered by somebody because of his, his religion. Uh, that He happened to be a Muslim, uh, happened to be mur murdered by a Ukrainian. I was impressed by the police in finding out that um, who actually murdered him, which was mm -hmm. given that he a relatively recent migrant from Ukraine. Um, Murdered Mohammed Salim. That's yes. right, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Um, I think he was in his 70s or something like that. Right. He was just killed because of his religion. And obviously, 
there we have an example of an extremist. So what do you personally think about Tahir Alam? Is he a, a community and educational success story in terms of the uh, results that he actually Well, obviously did? results, what, what, what can be said about what was going on in the schools is the schools were doing better in terms of getting better results. 76%, 5 yeah, exactly. so, so, you know, what you can say is they were making progress. But do you think Tahir, uh, in a way, was also a political target, the way this whole well, situation was Well, it was a simple argument. It, basically, they saw a simple argument. Simple argument wasn't actually true, but they saw a simple argument, and they, they went for that particular simple argument. And I thought... Which is? Well, there was this pointing the finger of, of extremism, which, which wasn't there. So is this the legacy that the Trojan Horse Affairs left behind? Even the current head of Ofsted, Amanda Spielman, speaks of a muscular liberalism in implementing British values. She even supports the banning of the hijab at a new home primary school, which is also Muslim majority and rated outstanding, even though the head herself reversed the decision and apologised. Is this the type of relationship the DFE and Ofsted will continue to have now with Muslim parents and pupils? Thanks for watching this episode and stay tuned for much more only on Close Shave TV.